Hi, you're listening to a sermon from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We're so glad you're listening. If you'd like more information, you can visit us online at oakhills.org or phone us at 916-983-0181. Writing some 700 years before the arrival of Jesus, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. As has already been mentioned several times, today uh, begins the season of Advent. And Advent encompasses the four Sundays preceding Christmas Day. Advent means coming. It means arrival. So it is the time of year when we anticipate and we prepare ourselves for the arrival of Jesus into the world. And if you've been with us this past month, then you may know we are basing our current series off of a devotional book by the late Eugene Peterson called Every Step on Arrival. It's a wonderful Advent title. Every step of life, an advent. Every occasion of life, pregnant with the potential of encountering God, especially in the mundane and in the ordinary. Advent is a strange combination of the ordinary on one hand and the extraordinary on the other hand. It is extraordinary, perhaps for obvious reasons, Because Advent awaits the coming of God himself into the world. The miracle of Jesus leaving the glory of heaven to put on human flesh, enter the world as a baby, born to a virgin, to live among us. And all of this good news announced by heavenly beings called angels. The story pulsates with enchantment and with the extraordinary. And yet there's so much ordinary in it. An out-of-wedlock, pregnant young woman trying to make sense of this great confusion. A jilted fiancé struggling to believe this unbelievable story. Blue-collar shepherds out laboring in a field. And for all of the people involved, the everyday difficulties of life compounded to the nth degree by the tyranny of the Roman Empire. The whole cast of this amazing story are ordinary people, like you and me. But they have been enlisted into the most extraordinary divine drama. The extraordinary of Advent always collides with the ordinary of this 
hectic time of year. I mean, this is this extraordinary sacred time of year, and yet many of you, many of us, are immersed in very ordinary and challenging things, like final research papers that are due, or final exams that need to be taken. Yes, I realize Jesus is coming, but the exam is coming faster. And the research paper is due sooner. Ordinary things like crowded streets and incredibly busy stores and elaborate and exhausting meals to prepare for four hours, eat in 12 minutes, and then clean up. The ordinary of Advent, let's face it, often consumes the extraordinary of Advent. And so these four weeks of Advent are sacred, perhaps, in theory, but in practice, for many of us, they are just another hectic stretch on the calendar. And the question I want to pose is, could Advent this year be different? Twenty years ago, a guy named Ronald Rollheiser wrote a wonderful book called The Shattered Lantern. And he begins the last chapter of this book by describing a particular comic strip in a series known as High and Lois. It's a series started back in the 50s. I believe it still runs today. In this particular scene, Rollheiser describes, depicts a family on a typical Monday morning. So I'm going to try to describe it to you. In frame one, High, who is the father of the family and an accountant, is on his way to work and while driving in his car, he's saying to himself, another dumb day going to that same dumb office to work on those same dumb numbers that I must have worked on a thousand times before. Frame two, his wife Lois is cleaning a floor and saying to herself, Another dumb day cleaning the same dumb house that I must have cleaned a thousand times before. Frame three. Their older children are on the school bus and one is saying to the other, Another dumb day going to the same dumb school with the same dumb teachers working on the same dumb stuff we've been working on for a thousand days already. The last frame. The youngest child, Trixie, maybe two years old, stands in her crib, wide awake. She faces the sun coming through her window, and with her hands reached high in the air, she shouts with joy, Another day! And Rollheiser concludes, New things will happen to Trixie this day. She's ready to be astonished. Ready for God to appear. When we have lost our instinct for astonishment, we lack the purity of heart to see God. If you want to know what this message is about, this message is about Trixie standing in her crib, looking up, saying, Another Advent! The image of Trixie is about all we need on this first Sunday of Advent. How ready are we right now, this Advent, to be astonished. How ready are we for God to appear? Does our astonishment muscle even work anymore? 
My hope is that we rediscover and reactivate our astonishment muscle over these next few weeks. Now, this won't be easy, as you know, because the ordinary is always poised to consume the extraordinary. This won't be easy because many of us sitting here this morning have heard the same dumb teachers tell the same Christmas story a thousand times before. And, oh, brother, here we go again. So how do we reactivate astonishment this Advent? I'm sure many things can help, but today I want to suggest our astonishment muscle reactivates when the familiar becomes once again unfamiliar. And when the known becomes once again unknown. And when mystery once again enchants this Christmas story. And to try to jumpstart the process today, I want us to go back near ground zero. Back to one of the core longings we have as human beings. What do all of us ultimately want? The devotional for today is number 60 in Eugene Peterson's book. And it is so good, I'm going to read the whole thing to you. And you can follow along with it. On the screens. Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish theologian, tells a story that shows what God did in Jesus, the King, the Lord. There was once a king who lived high in a castle, enthroned in riches and power. In his regal passes through the village down below, he saw a little peasant girl with whom he fell in love. He fell so deeply in love with her that he wanted to marry her. He could have commanded her to be his wife, but it so happened that he really loved her and wanted her to love him, not just admire and respect his royal decree. His problem was to get her to respond to him in love and not to his riches, dignity, and honor. So he left the palace and disguised himself as a poor working peasant and went to live in the village, never revealing his royalty. He wooed the girl, won her love, And married her. And then, after he had won her simply by loving her, he took her back to the castle and put back on his robes and crown and made her a queen. If he'd come to her in all his splendor, he would have overwhelmed her and never reached her heart. Having reached her heart, he was able to elevate her to royalty and give her a crown and still have her love. What is that? Is that just another dumb teacher? using another dumb way to try and enliven an old and familiar story? Or does that story get your inner Trixie pulling yourself up on your crib just a little bit? See, this is the Advent story. He fell so deeply in love with her that he wanted to marry her. He could have commanded her to be his wife. But it so happened that he really loved her. And wanted her to love him. Not just admire and respect his royal decree. God in the flesh who came to demonstrate in a tangible way his wide and long and high and deep love for human beings. My sense 
from my own life experience and from interacting with others in the thick of their experience, is that ground zero for each of us, the starting point, if you will, or at least close to the starting point, a core hunger, perhaps say it this way, the desire lurking behind all our other desires, is to be loved. To be really loved. Loved with an agape love. Unearned, unconditional, unfathomable. What do I have to do to get it? Nothing. Love that initiates on our behalf. Love that pursues us for our goodwill. And love that changes who we are all the way down near the core of who we are. We long to experience this love, to know it with a knowledge deeper than our intellect, to know the love of a king who would leave his palace to love a peasant. See, this is the message of Advent continuing to reverberate through the centuries. The love of God poured out for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And it seems to me, whether we are 7, 37, 67, or 97, there exists in us, however much we try to mute it or numb it, a built-in desire to experientially know we are loved. Like this desire was installed into the core of our being when we were originally manufactured. Mr. Rogers said it this way, Many years ago, deep within us, no matter who we are, there lives a feeling of wanting to be lovable, of wanting to be the kind of person others like to be with. And the greatest thing we can do is to let people know that they are loved and capable of loving. The Christmas story is about God coming to be with us so that we know experientially forever after no matter what happens, that we are God's beloved. And out of the strength of being His beloved, out of the strength of knowing we are His beloved, we live and we work and we relate and undoubtedly we fail and we fall. But we know we are loved by the God who made us. First John chapter 4 Verses 9 through 11. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, God's agape love is other-centered. It is self-sacrificing. It is for our sake. It is for our good. It is unconditional. It is unearned. So he loves us in our selfishness. He loves us in our pride. He loves us in our anger and lust and worry and greed and flaws and frailties. His love prompts and initiates him to come and rescue and forgive and transform. And when God's profound love breaches our intellectual defenses just a little bit and seizes our perpetually distracted hearts for just a brief moment, the built-in desire for love begins to be satisfied 
by the only thing that can ultimately satisfy. And when God's amazing love gets down into us, even just a little, the Trixie in us stands up and raises her hands and raises her head in awe. Our astonishment resurrects because we realize, however imperfectly and incompletely, we begin to realize, indeed, we are loved by the God who made us. 22 years ago, this past October 3rd, just over a month ago, two men from Oak Hills showed up unexpectedly at the birth of our youngest daughter, our youngest child. She was born at Kaiser in South Sacramento. And they just showed up. And their initiative to show up communicated a love that Julie and I experienced. Their coming transformed the concept of love and the language of love into the experience of love. For we saw love in their initiation. We saw love in their coming to us. This initiative born from love is what Isaiah described in our scripture reading. A light dawned in the land of deep darkness. To us, a child is born who is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. See, experiential love is what happens to a child when a big grown-up gets down on the floor with the child. There's an undeniably, undeniable expression of love and identification and relating when a big person up here gets on the floor with a little person. Same thing happens with a puppy. When I get on the floor with our, yes, 80-pound puppy, he crawls up on top of me and he tries to curl up in my lap And it simply doesn't work. And he steps on all sorts of vulnerable parts of me as he's doing this. But to Gus, there's nothing sweeter in the universe than me being on the ground with him. See, experiential love is what happens when a king leaves his castle to live in a village in order to woo the heart of a young maiden. He deeply and unfathomably Loves. So God dressing in human flesh and dwelling among us is impossible to completely wrap our heads around. We hear the story every Advent, and in a sense, we know the story. But in another sense, we don't really know the story. We get it, but we can never really get it. In fact, we get it the most when we realize we don't get it. Completely. And this is how astonishment resurrects and returns. But we have to receive his love. The king loved the peasant girl unconditionally for her sake. She had not earned his love. What did I do to deserve this? Nothing. He offered it to her freely, but she had to choose to receive it. And if she had chosen not to receive it, the test of the king's love would be revealed in response 
to her rejection. For if he would have then forced her to love him, it would have meant he never actually loved her in the first place. So Advent is God's loud yes to the churning question at the core of every person. Am I loved? Yes. And I know from personal experience, as you do, the trouble and the chaos and the turmoil we project onto others out of the wound of not knowing the answer to the question, am I loved? When we don't know the answer to this churning question, we look to others to answer it. But God is the only other who can ultimately answer the question. See, Advent is a profound reminder of the dignity God imparts to every single human being who has ever walked the face of the earth. Because every single human being who has ever walked the face of the earth is made in the image of God. So let's rest here for just a moment. This is one of those things where the ordinary wants to eat the extraordinary and swallow it. So we should pause. Every soul in this room, bracketed there, bracketed there, every soul in this room is deeply and unconditionally and indescribably loved by God. Yeah, I've heard that before. When this familiar inches back toward unfamiliar, and when this known becomes yet again unknown, Trixie stands up. And raises her hands. And astonishment returns. Let's remove the brackets. Let your mind wander outside this room for a moment. To the farthest reaches of God's agape love that you can imagine. How far does God's love extend in your mind? How far does God's love reach? When do you arrive at the end of unconditional with the Nazis, Hitler, child abusers, life without parole murderers, neighbors who leave their garbage cans out three days after it's been picked up, adulterers, liars, gossips, cats, chronic complainers, the greedy, the Democrats, the Republicans, the broken, the diseased, the hurting, some other race, Donald Trump, Nancy Pelosi. When does unconditional end in your mind? Hear this clearly. There is no outer limit to God's agape love. And just when we think it ends, the trail picks up and it begins again. It's wider than we can comprehend. It's longer than we can calculate. It's higher than we can dream. And it's deeper than we can measure. And Paul prays in Ephesians 3 that we, you, And I would know this wide 
and long and high and deep love of God. And then this great phrase that surpasses knowledge. And he says in Romans 8 to you and to me that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate you or me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I'd like to ask you to stand up for a moment. And I imagine it's going to be helpful for many of you to close your eyes. Because when we start to trend toward charismatic, closing our eyes makes it all easier. Then we get the illusion no one's looking at us because we're not looking at anybody else. So with your eyes closed, I'd like you to raise your hands in the air as high as they will go. And I want you to repeat after me, and I want you to repeat after me with passion. Wow! Another day. Wow, another Advent season. Wow, the King is coming. Our Lord Jesus, we celebrate You on this day. We turn our attention to You on this day. We stand with our hands raised and our heads up, looking into the eyes of the One who has proclaimed throughout all eternity that we are Your Beloved. Beloved daughters, beloved sons, loved eternally, loved unconditionally by the one who made us. Wow. We revel in who you are. We align ourselves with who you are. We choose to receive the truth that you say we are. And we honor you and celebrate you as our glorious King who is coming. And we pray this in your name. Amen.